Thank you, worship team. Thank you so much. Good morning, family. Good morning. The fans are on. So I'm hoping nobody's feeling too hot this morning. How are you doing? You may take a seat. Amen. I feel so lonely. The front chairs are empty. And you're all at the back. Do you not love me anymore? Are you sure? I hear people whispering, but if I ask them to move forward, will they still love me? Amen. Okay, I will not stress you this morning. Um, it's, it's always... It's a privilege to stand before you, family. It's not something I take for granted. And Philippines, starting with daughter of the house, <laughs> and then all of a sudden she escalated to mother. I'm like, hey, slow down. How can a person be a daughter and a mother at the same time? What do you want me to be? Um, but I, I really am honored. You know, sharing with family is, is a difficult thing, but it's also a good thing. Because if your family wants to speak to you, then there's still a relationship. Amen. Even if sometimes the things you have to say may not be that nice. Even if sometimes the things you have to say may not be that nice. The fact that they still pick up the phone when you call <laughs> is a good thing. You know, um, it's true. When they call me daughter of the house, yeah. People have seen me grow in this church. So, yes, there's the daughter part. And I, I was reminded as I was preparing for this, you know, what my, my growing up was like, my upbringing was like. I'm sorry to bore you, but I don't have this dramatic salvation story. You know, there are some people who have this extra vagant, you're like, Jesus, why didn't you find me like that? No, mine is not that interesting. But I gave my life to Christ in 1996 when I was in high school. Please don't do the math. And part of the reason why I gave my life to Christ was also the fear of hell. Because that time, there was this movie called Ben in Hell. Who has ever watched Ben in Hell? Yeah, very few of you, thank God. So I'm not dealing with a lot of traumatic people. That movie was very traumatic. And a child you know, being exposed to that movie. I don't think they had film regulators in those days that knew this, the age limit for this movie cannot be for children. But there was a fear of hell. And, and I just imagined, no, I don't want to be burning. Permanently, eternally. Imagine fire on, guys, have you ever touched a candle? The king, fire. Have you ever gotten burnt by a pot? Imagine the whole body in fire. And that was the preaching that was happening in those days. And that is how some of us gave our lives to Christ. But apart from that, I also grew up in a family where I always say I was raised with food, water, shelter, sunlight, and Bible. We had morning devotions. We had evening devotions. And don't think you could sleep during those times. Because my father used to make sure that one is sitting here and the other one is sitting here. And if somebody is reading the Bible and you doze off, trust me, you will be pinched. Or you will be smacked. Or you will be made to stand up. Or something will happen, but you will not be left sleeping. 
So there was a lot of Bible going in, right? I knew a lot of scripture. I could quote scripture. We had Bible verses, memory verses. My mother, on top of that, had this thing she called Bible Club that she did every Thursday with kids in the neighborhood. So I could not escape Bible. Wednesday prayers was not an option in my house. Any other prayer meeting, for that matter, was not an option in my house. That is how Bible-infused I was. But I want to tell you this morning that I grew up thinking that, you know, I'm one of the, 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 the Klinanyana Christians. You know, Christians that you, you know you've seen, but not the big, big ones. Oh, I'm alone this morning. Eh? Oh, okay, it's fine. I get, I'm putting myself out there. And I became very judgmental. I became very judgmental. To a point where, you know, even when I would read some of Paul's letters, I'd be thinking, is he talking to Christians? Have you seen some of the letters Paul wrote? You ask yourself, which Christians is he talking to? Because people like that are not in church. Who's he talking to? That is how immature I was in my thinking. Thinking that I know Christians are clean and righteous people who never struggle with sin. And then the older I got, life showed me flames. Because I was no longer under the canopy of morning devotion and night devotion and Nobody was forcing me to go to church, especially in, tertiary, in, especially in tertiary. Nobody was monitoring me. The worst they'll ask is, did you go to church today? And I think I got away with a few yeses when I did not go. And then I realized with my own struggles, with my own bad decisions, because I've made bad decisions, family. I've realized that Christians are not people who have made it to heaven. Can I say it again? Christians are not people who have made it to heaven. Christians are people who have been fortunate enough to see the light and who are finding their way to the Father each day. People who are navigating life. People who are not perfect. Those are Christians. And how do I know that? If you look at the people that Jesus hung out with, Jesus did not hang out with those who had figured it out. No, even his disciples had not figured it out. But let me carry on. That's not where I'm going. And I just want to say, you know, as a disclaimer, even those of us who stand here to preach, we have not arrived. We are far from arriving. We have the same struggles that every other Christian has. The only difference, maybe if it's a difference, is that maybe we have a little bit of courage to say there is hope. There is hope. I'm, I'm also running. I'm also walking. Come walk with me. And that is what preaching is. Well, for me, not, not, not a, a let me come and teach you how it's done. No, I don't know how it's done. I don't. But we are walking this journey together. So now I appreciate words like repentance. I appreciate words like forgiveness. I appreciate words like grace and restoration. Because every day, and I mean every day, I need God. Amen. Now if you're here this morning, 
and you're not saved, and you have, you're not churched up like some of us. I actually think you're brave showing up in church. <laughs> Let me explain why I say that. Church is not a comfortable place. Church is a very judgmental place. Church is a place where, unfortunately, there are some people who are waiting with a checklist to see how well you're scoring in life. So if you have not made a commitment to Christ and you are here today, today I celebrate you for being brave to hang out with Christians. Are you still here? Get it? I'm not talking about you people. You are not judgmental. You're nice people. You are friendly people. I'm talking of another church somewhere and other Christians somewhere. In this church, we don't speak Christianese. Amen. <laughs> Do you know what Christianese is? Have you ever been among Christians and feel like, oof, these people are not nice? <laughs> it's as if they live in this bubble, this holy, adult bubble, and you don't feel like you fit in there. I think I should start hanging out with you guys. You're not those ones. So today I want to encourage such a person to continue seeking God every day. Continue seeking God every day. If you are here and you've not made that decision, it's okay. I'm still happy you're here. And I pray that this message in particular will be for you this morning. And for those of us who are very familiar with the Bible, Today I hope I don't bore you, because my scripture is from John chapter 3. And if I wake anybody up who's churched in this room, and I say John 3.16, you'll say it before opening your eyes. Amen. Is it not true? But today, guess where we are playing today? John 3.16. But I'll read from verse 1. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. 
If I have ever told you earthly things and you do not believe, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. That sounds deep, isn't it? I'll unpack it later, John morning. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. I will stop there. Why am I reading the scripture? Because I feel that in this one encounter, Jesus gave Nicodemus the whole gospel. From beginning to the end. Jesus answered the question, who are you and why are you performing these things? Because Jesus told him, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. Jesus is saying, you are in the presence of God. And apart from that, I came from God. But this is not where my journey ends. I'm to be lifted up because I came for people to believe. That is summary of this chapter, but I'm breaking it down. And I want to break it down by highlighting four points about salvation. Today I'm speaking about salvation. But I titled it, It's a Love Thing. It's a love thing. Remember what I told you about burning hell? And how we gave our lives to Christ because of fear? Today I want to show you salvation from a love side. So the first point I want to make is salvation is not God's plan. Sorry, it's God's plan, not ours. Can I say it again? Salvation is God's plan, not ours. Now, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and we are told about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious man. He was educated, and he was influential, because we are told that he was a ruler of the Jews. Amen. This person had things that in our society we would say, he's arrived. I don't know who you can liken to Nicodemus, but are you getting the picture? Now, as important as he was with all those accolades that he had, something was missing. And that is why Nicodemus came at night. Nicodemus could not sleep. There's so many theories about why he came at night. Some said because he was a Pharisee, um, they couldn't, he couldn't be seen by the other Pharisees to be you know, sitting and asking questions with Jesus. And I feel that Nicodemus was hungry. There was more. He had questions that he needed answers to. And my point this morning is, you can know all the theology in the world. 
You can be as educated as anybody could be in your field. You can answer as to where the wind blows and no, it's not the wind, it's oxygen or it's carbon dioxide or I don't know, nitrogen. But if your spirit is not plugged in to God's spirit, there will always be a hunger. And God did that intentionally, just by the way. He created that hunger in us. Can I tell you how? In Genesis 1 verse 26, it says, let us create man in our image. Who's us? God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So we carry God's Spirit in us. Whether you are saved or not, I want to tell you that God has left a gap in, his, in you for his Spirit. And as long as your Spirit has not plugged into his divine nature, there will always be hunger. And sometimes we fill up this hunger with religion. Sometimes we fill up this hunger with education. And sometimes we fill up this anger with influence and power. These are all byproducts of hunger. I'm not saying it's not good to have those things. I'm saying that those things will not fill up the need. Because the need, it can only be filled up by God himself. And Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, you've been born of flesh. Yes, that part you got right. But there's a spirit connection that has not happened. And that is the part that you are missing, as educated as you are, as influential as you are, and as religious as you are. Before I move on from Nicodemus, I want to encourage somebody that there's no expiry date to seeking God. That is what struck me when I heard the word, he came at night. Do you remember the thief on the cross? Do you remember the thief on the cross? One said, what? Save yourself. And the other one says, hey, remember me in paradise. He literally got into heaven at 11.59. 11.59 and 59 seconds. He got in. Because there is no expiry date on salvation. But the scary part is the Bible says, when you hear the word, do not ignore. Do not close your heart because you don't know when it's your 11.59. We don't know. That's the scary part. So if you are exposed to the word of God, there is always an opportunity for you to come to Jesus. Curiosity is a good thing, but curiosity should lead us to the cross. Now, what I love about this is that Jesus filtered through Nicodemus' smart comments. Nicodemus came and said, uh, who are you? Uh, what powers do you operate under? And all of that, and Jesus went through all of that. He just went and said, you cannot get to heaven without being born again. And that is the summary of all the questions you have in this life. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31 says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh may glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ who became for us wisdom from God. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And redemption. 
that is, it is that that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Salvation is God's plan. It's his plan. Nobody can say, no, I will figure out how this thing works. The one who started it is the one who has the answers, and that's the only plug we have. And unfortunately, as simple as the gospel is, we have complicated it. The gospel has become very complicated because we, it, to our simple minds, it is too simple. We want, we want to bring the five cows and uh, slaughter the three sheep and uh, go and find the pink bird and look for a lizard that sings. We want to do strange things and God has made it simple. Whosoever believes, all you have to do is to believe. The second point I want to make is salvation is rooted in love and not judgment or condemnation. God loved. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn, but that through him the world might be saved. Do you hear love in this verse? God is not a bully. I've heard people ask, why didn't he just save all of us? He did. He sent his son. He sent his son and that was the only plan. That was the only plan. There was no other plan. It was not plan B. It was plan one. Plan A, plan all. Salvation has been preached from a place of fear. I already mentioned that. But love was the motive. Love was the motive. And the sad part is, condemnation does not draw anybody to God. Love does. Let me just make it simple. If your children are afraid of you, they won't come near you. They'll hear your car before you even take the turn to arrive home. They know how daddy's car sounds. And then you will get inside the house and you'll be like, where is Boosie? Boosie has locked herself in a room. Because maybe you are the father who is shouting. You're the father who's scary. You're the bully. You're the one who immediately we hear your voice. We must start to tremble. God is not that father. God is not that father. But have you seen a child who's loved? That child will do nonsense and come and sit near you like this and even roll the eyes and, and... Have you seen a child who's loved? Love attracts. Condemnation and judgment repels. And I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it, family. That our condemnation and our judgment is repelling people from the kingdom of God. Not God's condemnation because he doesn't condemn. Let us stop condemning and judging people. Let us love people. Because that is salvation. John 10.10 10 says, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. God wants us to be happy. To be, you know, you know have you seen a happy child? Christianity is not supposed to be a miserable experience. And once you understand the love of the Father, it changes everything. 
Today, um, there was a scripture that kept on coming up. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that a love thing? Would you die for somebody who, if you're waiting for them to get it right, would, would, you wouldn't. Imagine if a parent is saying, Wait, and when I see your 80s, then me and you can talk. You will continue to work for those 80s and feel like you're not achieving it, and eventually you will give up on that conversation. God is not like that. God is rich in mercy. Ephesians 2, 4 to 5. I'm skipping some scripture blessing. Ephesians 2, 4 to 5 says, But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, not by works, lest anyone should boast. He sent his son while we were still sinners. It's not rooted in condemnation, it's rooted in love. Point number three, salvation is a gift. God loved and he gave. None of us earned it. None of us end it. There is no one in this room who passed a test so well that God decided to come and save them. We were all saved, in fact, before we started, before we even knew him, while we were still sinners. And the thing with a gift is that a gift is about the giver, not the receiver. A gift is about a giver. It may be your birthday or a special event, but there's no guarantee you will get a gift. Why? The giver has to decide to give a gift. <laughs> the giver has to decide. It's simple. The giver has to decide. And that was a decision that God already made in advance to give us his son. Now, if you are earning salvation, Paul puts it in Galatians. Um that he was speaking to Galatians and he equated it to witchcraft. He says, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? Because cutting yourself, circumcision is not the thing that saves you. It is God's gift, which no one has earned. And if you believe that your works will take you to heaven, then the work of the cross was in vain. Salvation is a gift, children of God. You cannot earn it. And some of us struggle to receive gifts. So we're constantly working. Constantly working. I know somebody who, in one year, he did 140 days fast. The one that you only eat in the evening. Eh? Then I think he took a break for a month. And then he started again a 90-day fast. That person died. Fasting is okay, guys. Don't get me wrong. But you better be fasting for the right reason. Because if you're doing it to enter into God's kingdom, you are wasting your time and you will kill yourself. God is not about dead works. God is about love. He's about grace. And if we cannot receive his gift of grace then we are going to continue to run away from him. The last point is salvation is for everyone. Everyone. Salvation is for everyone. 
I don't know if that's good news for you today or it's bad news for you because it can find you in two places. You may be very disappointed that salvation is for everyone because there are some people you're thinking that one belongs in hell. Oh, sorry, it's just me. I'm, I'm exposing myself today. <laughs> but salvation is for everyone. And I want to draw some examples today. If you would just give me five or ten more minutes. Do you remember Peter? Do you remember Peter? The disciple. If you know me, you know that Peter is my favorite disciple. You know, right? Peter is my favorite disciple, and I'll tell you why. Peter was there. Peter was careless. Peter was reckless. But the way Peter loved Jesus is because of the way Peter experienced Jesus. Peter was the same one. I'm not talking of a different Peter. I'm talking of the one who betrayed Jesus, by the way. That one. Before he betrayed Jesus, in Matthew 16, 18 to 19, Jesus had already affirmed Peter, ne? Or you are the rock. On this rock, I'll build my church. And everything and everything and everything. He, he saw an evangelist. This was the same person who was to betray him. Do you think Jesus knew that Peter would betray him from the beginning? Why did he choose Peter? Because salvation is for everyone. Jesus saw an evangelist where people saw a betrayer. Jesus' story did not change even after the betrayal. In John 21, after Peter had even given up on himself, Peter had said, I'm going back fishing. Guess who was waiting for him there? Jesus. Peter went and he went to fish all night. And Jesus came and she said, oh, how's that working for you? You can't run away from me, Peter. You are still the same Peter. The same one I'm going to build my church on. You're still the same one I called to fish for men. You are still the same one. And Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Because for Jesus, that's the only thing that mattered. Peter, do you love me? And Peter had to ask himself that question as well. Then he said, yes, I do. Jesus said, what? Feed my sheep. Jesus said, yes, you've betrayed me. I, I get it. And I love the fact that he asked him three times. How many times did Peter betray Jesus? Three times. So for each do you love me, he was deleting one betrayal. Do you love me? Delete. Do you love me? Delete. Do you love me? Delete. And he restored Peter. He gave Peter an opportunity to come back to how Jesus had seen him from the beginning. Because Jesus is not after what you did yesterday or what you did last week or what you did last year. Jesus is after, do you love me? Do you love me? That's the only question he's asking. Not Peter, will you do it again? Not Peter, have you learned your lesson? 
Not Peter, how Mara, why? I expected more from you. It was Peter, do you love me? And then there was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was rich. Two, three weeks ago, Dr. Maguela spoke about, you know, tax collectors and how, yeah, they were sinners and then they were tax collectors. And this is the person that Jesus chose to go and eat with. Zacchaeus was on a tree. They say he was short, but maybe he was avoiding people as well. <laughs> I don't know. The Bible says he was short. He had to climb on a tree because he wanted to see this Jesus. And Jesus found him on a tree. Remember the song we sang? There's no mountain you won't climb up. There's no wall you won't kick down. Coming after me. Jesus came after Zacchaeus. He said, when has Zacchaeus come down? Of all the people who were there around Jesus, Jesus chose to fetch somebody from a tree. So even on the tree, Jesus is coming after you this morning. And he's saying, come down. It's you that I want to have supper with. He says, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. I must stay at your house. And what did the people say? He has gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. Those were bobus before they experienced Christ's grace. He has gone to be with a man who's a sinner. If you see my car, no, not my car, me, parked in front of, where's the one place you don't want to see my car? Polokwan. I'll leave it there. If you see my car there, maybe you'll assume somebody else drove it. Okay, let's go inside. If you see me there, I'm not Jesus, mind you. Nah, I'm here. I'm with you. But if you see my car <laughs> or me packed in a very shady place, won't, won't you be here? What is she doing there? Why is she there? What is she looking for there? You probably pick up your phone and call somebody. Hey, guess who I saw? As for what she was doing there, you don't know. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, as much as I'm making this a joke, you will not feed God's sheep if you don't go to where they are scattered. I'm not sending you to Shebins, don't get me wrong. I am saying to you, be intentional about hanging out with people who will not come to church and find you. Those people are in your offices. Those people are in your schools. You don't have to go to a Shebin to find them. But our job is to feed the sheep. And Jesus found Zacchaeus because Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus repented before anybody preached to him just because Jesus chose to come to his house. Sometimes your presence is what brings people to God. You don't even have to open a Bible. Your presence is what brings people to God. Do you remember the story of the woman from Samaria? She said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for water? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. People have already condemned themselves out there. They don't need any extra condemnation. They don't need Boosie coming with a whip 
and saying, stop it, stop it, stop it. Jesus did not do that to Peter. I pray that you can hear me this morning. These chairs are not going to be filled by us condemning people. These chairs are going to be filled by us loving people. If our gospel can become one of love, I promise you, people will be saved. People will be saved. There is enough condemnation in us already. Before you come with your PhD in condemnation. So how should we respond? How should we respond? What should our response be? I had two other examples here. There was the other woman who anointed Jesus' feet with oil and she wiped his feet with her hair. And people said, if they know what kind of sinful life she lives. He knew. He knew. But Jesus saw past that and saw a woman preparing him for his death and burial. Something that the saved people could not see. And then there was Paul, right? <laughs> Should I start with Paul? No. Should I? Paul killed Christians. Paul killed believers. Paul approved for people to be killed because they believed. And that is the same Paul. It's the same Paul that Jesus found and Jesus chose to use. It's the same Paul that became an evangelist. It's the same Paul that wrote letters to churches. God will use you squeaky clean. Thank God for you. But God will use even you who does not believe that you qualify. And today it's a love thing. It's not a qualified thing. If you can believe how much God loves you, for me that is the point of the sermon. It is a love thing. So your response today is to accept that you cannot save yourself and you bring nothing to this table. You need to accept your love, God's love for you and everyone else. Stop thinking you're more lovable than other people. Stop trying to earn salvation by being good enough. You will never be good enough. Even when you fall, you pick up yourself and you say, Father, I'm still here. I still love you. I still love you. We need to share the gospel to people because it's for everyone and it's a command. And I'm not talking about preaching only, guys. Hear my heart. I'm talking about loving people, especially people who you know cannot love you back, especially people who you know there's nothing they can do for me. It's easy to love people who can love you back, but loving somebody who cannot love you back is hard. But that is how you preach the gospel. That is how you feed the sheep. Sometimes it's by telling somebody, you know what? He saved me. I was a mess. I'm still a mess. But Jesus still comes for me every day. Sometimes that is the only encouragement a person needs to come and sit next to you at church. There are some people who say, I cannot go to church yet. There are things I'm working on. No, church is for those people. 
Jesus will work on us while we are here, family. Please don't you ever run away from church because you are struggling. Don't you ever run away from this church because you are struggling. You come here. Come here with your struggle. Come here smelling alcohol. Come here not smelling good. Come here knowing that you are struggling. Come here. Because that is who Christ came for. Amen. And that is the church that Christ died for. He wouldn't have had to die if we had gotten it right. And if salvation, if the message of the cross has become boring for you, I want to challenge you this morning to go back and recalibrate. Recalibrate. That means go and reset and understand what the cross was meant for. It was meant to save us. The question that I have for you as we close up, the worship team can come up. It's the same question that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love Jesus? Are you able to receive the love that he so willingly wants to pour into your heart this morning? That reckless love. That love that he will not stop pouring. Whether you've given your life to Christ or not, I want to reassure you that there's somebody who loves you so much. So much. And he will choose you over and over and over and over and over again because he loves you. That is the simple gospel, family. That is the simple gospel. Everything else we put is fluff. You know fluff? Fluff. The one we take off on a woolen garment. Everything else is fluff. The gospel is simple. Jesus came, he died. That whosoever believes may not perish, but have everlasting life. Can I invite you to stand up with me as we pray? This morning the message is for a whosoever. And a whosoever may be somebody who gave their lives to Christ 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. But this morning I want you to hear the message of the cross from a love place. Because if you've been working very hard and tirelessly, salvation has become a burden for you. But if you hear it from a love place, you're coming and you're saying, Father, I love you. I love you. Thank you for loving me. And my journey going forward is one of love, not one of fear. And I want people to experience this love the way I experience it. And because of that, I'm going to be so bold and so brave about telling people how Jesus saved me. That is the message today. 
I'm going to make an opening to anybody who wants to embrace this love today. I don't know if it's for the first time, the 10th time, the 20th time, after many betrayals, I don't know. I don't want to know. But if today you want to receive this love from the Father, and you want to respond by saying, I love you, you know I love you, then I'm going to ask you to say this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you today and I receive your love, your pure love that I could never earn, that I could never deserve. And I pray, Father, that today this love will be so real for me. Help me to love you back in a very simple way. Help me to never stop chasing after you. Help me to come even when I don't feel like I qualify. And help me to love you like you loved me. In Jesus' name, amen.